You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, March 18, 2022. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Jim Bianco, president of Bianco Research. And there's no one I'd rather talk to today than you, Jim. We were talking a little bit off camera. Lots going on. Fed finally lifts off of the 25 basis point rate hike. We've got a war in Ukraine that seems to continue to get worse. Upward moves in equity markets, curve inversion, a lot of moving parts out there, Jim. Big picture, how are you thinking about what's happening in markets right now? Yeah, I think it's really going to be a cross uh, push-pull here. Stock market has had its best rally probably since the January high in the S&P or the November high in the NASDAQ. At the same time, if you took the stock market out of the equation and you looked at all of the other markets with rising short rates, a flattening yield curve, the rebound in energy prices that we've seen off the lows set on Wednesday, the still elevated commodity markets, You'd think a whole lot hasn't changed from, say, the beginning of the week or last week, but the stock market seems to be selling you a completely different story right now. And that divergence is probably going to be the thing that everybody's going to focus on. I'll tend to lean towards the other markets as being the tell here, unless on the stock market, we could discuss that through the rest of the interview. Yeah, let's talk about that. I should say, index performance, I'm looking at a weekly chart here, NASDAQ Composite, uh, up over 7% on the week, S&P 500 a smidge uh, below 4% on the week, Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, up about, looks like 3.6, 3.7% on the week. These are pretty significant moves. How, how do you reconcile that? How do you square that with exactly what you mentioned, other markets, particularly commodities and fixed income? Well, I'd also mention, too, that if you if we were here one week ago, we would have been talking about the biggest weekly decline since the middle of 2020 for the S&P and for the um, NASDAQ and for the Russell and for the rest of them. What was the low day of the entire move down since the November high? It was Monday. It was four trading days ago is what the low day was. I, I would tend to think that there's two things going on here. And the first one, I, I think, is is just a good old fashioned short cover that really kicked off with the Fed meeting on Wednesday afternoon. Remember that uh, for a brief moment there after the Fed announcement, we were down in the day. We weren't very much off the lows. That was 48 hours ago. And then we got that relentless surge in the market that has continued. And that was coupled with the announcement out of China two days ago that the Chinese government, after bludgeoning their technology companies and most of their companies for the right. last year, has finally called it off. Um, you know, that they are going to at least now back off. And we saw an enormous short squeeze. I mean, some numbers that you only see in the crypto space, the Golden Dragon Index, the Chinese ADR index is up 30% for the week. And that's after being down 13% on Monday. I mean, these are these are altcoin type of moves that we're seeing in those in that space as well, too. So I think there's for the moment, it looks like a short cover. Now, whether or not that meanders into managers are going to say, given everything I see, I want to commit new money to the market, or the public says, I want to commit new money to the market. Well, we'll find that out next week. 
But for right now, it does look like a short cover. Yeah, Jim, you said it. You know I can't resist biting when you throw it out there. Crypto uh, up. Well, let me just read some of these numbers to you. Bitcoin trading right now at 42195 uh, up 3 and a quarter percent on a 24-hour basis, trailing seven days, up almost 9%, 8.69. Ethereum trading at 29.73, a hair's breadth below that key psychological level of 3,000. 24-hour trailing basis up 5.3%. Seven-day trailing basis up over 16%. Yeah, these are these are it's interesting because these sound like big numbers for crypto. But if you looked at a bar chart of, of uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum, they, they've actually been fairly tame throughout all of the volatility that we've seen. Now, keeping in mind a three or four percent move in crypto is kind of, you know, Tuesday for that market yep. where it's not <laughs> where it's not in the in the rest of the markets as well too. They've been fairly tame. They have not broken out or shown any signs of breaking out. Neither have the the S&P or the Nasdaq. They're still working on retracements right now and we'll see whether or not they break out. And Ash, by the way, as crypto, uh, maybe we could talk about it later, but uh Vitalik Buterin cover of Time magazine today uh as well too. I mean, all of a sudden the adoption and the attention that crypto is getting has been unparalleled. Yeah, it is really interesting. And let me just take it a step further, what you said uh, about how markets uh, were not moving on the digital asset side. I'll take it a step further. They were downright sleepy going into uh, the Fed meeting. I mean, you look at that chart from, say, the 11th through the 15th. It was basically like a horizontal line. You almost never see that in Bitcoin. You know, you could almost make the case that in going into this explosion higher following the Fed meeting, that the store value was crypto. It seemed like everything else was blowing your mind, but then crypto, for what crypto is supposed to be, was kind of sitting there doing nothing during this whole period uh, as well, too. So they're, you know, they're starting to move up as well, but uh, I think they've done fairly good job of holding together throughout the invasion and all of the noise that we've seen in traditional markets as well, too. Maybe a sign that that high correlation to you know, the stock market or to unprofitable tech companies is maybe on the verge of breaking down. Yeah. And just to add a little color on your earlier point about Vitalik Buterin being on the cover, not just that, but it's also the first ever full magazine de dedicated uh, to NFT and blockchain from, uh, from Time Magazine, if I read that headline correctly earlier. Yes. Yes. I mean, you know, it was actually, if you're not familiar with uh, Vitalik, uh, and want to know, uh, you know, the quick uh, TLDR on his uh, backstory. I thought the article was very good. I thought it was a very balanced article. Yeah, it mentioned, you know, the old tropes about too much energy and it's all crime and stuff like that in cryptos. But then they kind of offset that later on in the article, too. So I thought it was yeah. uh, well worth the read if you're not familiar with who he is or want to learn more about him. Yeah, and we should say Vitalik doing his part, obviously, uh, Ethereum switching over to uh, Ethereum 2.0. We're talking about this merge coming up uh, later this year, perhaps. Uh, and we're going to move from proof of work to proof of stake, obviously much more environmentally friendly. Yeah, and, and I love the uh, just, uh, just to complete the thought with Vitalik, uh, if you're more of a traditional financial person, um, the picture of him on the stage at ETH Denver uh, giving a presentation in his pajamas uh, in his Shiba Inu pajamas, you know, that tells you a lot about the culture of the uh, crypto space. Jim, you're not going to wear your pajamas to the latest uh, Real Vision macro conference? Uh, unless you want me to. I mean, if you think that's going to be it, I'll be, I'll be there April, uh, with April 5th and 6th 
or fourth yeah. to the sixth in San Diego. Yeah. And uh, if you'd like me to, I'd be more than happy to wear my pajamas. Boy, we teed up that shameless plug perfectly seamlessly. <laughs> hey, listen, Jim, I'm going to pull us out of the crypto rabbit hole because there's so much happening uh, in the in the macro space. And I, I know I could talk about it all day. But I also wanted to talk a little bit about what you see happening in fixed income, U.S. Treasuries, another yield curve inversion today. Uh, yesterday, I think, was twos, fives. Now it's threes, fives, now inverted, meaning the short end of the curve a little bit above uh, the slightly longer end, right in the belly of the curve between three and five years. What does that suggest to you? Is this a recession indicator? Yeah, so this is going to be the biggest story that everyone's talking about, aside from the rally in the, in the stock market over the last three days. You've seen the yield curve continue to invert. Now, what I mean by that is, how does a yield curve invert? And I use the phrase, it inverts inside out. It usually starts in the middle of the yield curve. The difference between the seven-year and the 10-year uh, yields, the seven-year yield goes above the 10-year yield. That actually happened earlier this week. Then the five-year, 10-year yield, um, that hit zero and actually was intraday negative a little bit this week. Then you get things like the three-year, five-year, the three-year, 10-year, and those are essentially zero as well, too. And it works its way out to the 10-year, two-year spread, and eventually right. you'll get all the way out to the 30-year Fed fund spread. So what we're seeing is exactly the way a yield curve inverts. And it, it looks like at this point, we're almost so far down the pike with this, that eventually the yield curve will invert. It would actually be a, it would actually be a bolder call to say that it won't. Now, doesn't mean it's going to happen next week. It might be in two weeks. It might be in six months. But I think eventually the yield curve will invert. Now, what does it mean? There is a wide range of opinions on what the yield curve means. Historically, we know that when the, the extremes of the yield curve, say the 10-year, three-month, three-month bill, 10-year yield curve inverts, three-month bills trade at a higher yield than the 10-year, or the two-year, 10-year curve inverts, it has a 100% track record of leading a recession uh, right. back to the 1960s. And I've also joked there is a 100% track record of every time the yield curve is inverted since the 1980s that everybody comes out and says, this time it won't work. Uh, and it and it always does seem to work. I tend to think of the yield curve. I saw Real Vision daily briefing yesterday with the Fed guy, Joseph Wang, and um, I'm going to follow in some of his comments. I tend to think it is a signaling device that there is stress in the financial system when the yield curve, when the short-term interest rates go above the long-term interest rates. That stress the day you invert the curve may not be obvious. It may not be obvious for months, or it may be obvious the day that the yield curve inverts. But I do definitely think that it is a sign of stress. Now, let me, let me preface that by or reminding us it's not inverted yet. You know, yeah. I'm talking about the 10-year, two-year curve, the seven tens, the fives tens. That's always the, the first ones to go along the way till you get to that stress indicator. So we'll see when it does, and if it does, it also has to be persistent. It just doesn't invert for one day for a couple right. of basis points. It needs to stay there week after week. And then you say there is a problem in the market. Now, if that happens, what is it that it's signaling? And let me tie that in with the stock market rally. You know, a lot of people have said, oh, the stock market rally is showing you that maybe we're seeing the end of the war or resolution of the war, there's peace talks going on, possibly ceasefire talks going on. And I've said, yes, and let's revert back to the world of February 23rd, the day before the invasion. 
What was that world? Slowing economy, high inflation, booming commodity prices. Not, this stuff did not start February 24th, the day of the war. This has been ongoing for a long time. And if we're going to revert back to that pre-war world, remember the stock market had already corrected 10% before the war began on the worries of supply chain problems, inflation problems, commodity price problems uh, as well, too. And what can we throw in there that isn't war-related? COVID shutdowns in China are going to become big. Maersk, one of the big shipping companies, has already instituted alternative plans for shipping. So the supply chain crisis, by all measures, is going to get worse because yeah. of what's happening in China. And if you're not familiar with what's happening in China, they've got a surge of COVID cases that only the Wuhan lockdowns of two years ago is, is comparable to right now. And they have zero COVID policy and they're, they're basically shutting things down left and right. And what they have been shutting down is a lot of their ports. And a lot of their ports are, um, you know, without those, then the supply chain's really going to suffer. Yeah, and there's been some chirping about potentially the Chinese vaccine not being as effective uh, as the ones that we have here uh, in the West. Uh, and talking of which, in terms of commentary, uh, Jay Powell actually pointing out, I believe not just China, but also the Russia situation as being something that would create an impact uh, on global supply chains. Uh, and he mentioned that in their forecast, their previous forecast, they had uh, actually a resolution of global supply chain issues beginning. We were supposed to be past peak now uh, with Russia, and as you point out, with China, very much up in the air, very much an open question. So let me give you another shameless plug since we're on Real Vision Daily Briefing. I <laughs> recorded a series of interviews called Real Visionaries about um, the, the economy. And one of them was with a supply chain shipping expert, Salma Cargliano. It's going to be out the week of March 28th. And we talked about this exact subject, about the idea of what does shipping mean for um, what does Russia mean for the supply chain? And he said 3% of all container ships are traveling in and out of Russia. Doesn't sound like a lot. Remember right. that the system is running at capacity. What happens with those 3% of ships? They probably have a bunch of containers on those ships and they've got nowhere to go now. They can't deliver them to Russia. They're Russian goods, so they don't want to deliver them to a Western port because they might be sanctioned. So they're literally motoring around in the ocean waiting for somebody to tell them what to do. And if you've taken 3% of shipping out of the system in a system that was already capacity constrained, that's just going to worsen the situation. And that's just container ships. You talk about cargo ships that have to ship grain. If you talk about tanker ships that have to t ship oil, it's getting more and more difficult to do that as well, too, that will just, on the raw materials end of the supply chain, it continue to exacerbate it. So, the, yes, the Russian situation, even, although it doesn't sound like a lot, it is actually going to be a material impact when there's no excess capacity in shipping right now. Boy, that's fascinating. Some of my favorite interviews on Real Vision uh, are the ones where we talk to people who aren't finance guys and gals, but people who are actually out there uh, doing things where they see the real world and not just numbers on a screen. I'm really looking forward to that interview with Sal. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, he's uh, very, very good at uh, breaking it down and making everybody understand what's happening in the shipping industry. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. 
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, by the way, we should say, uh, you mentioned uh, two's 10 spreads, which is sort of the benchmark that we use where most of the data is at least about those curve inversions. You made that great point. It's not just a 24-hour inversion. It typically has to stay inverted. But let's just talk a little bit, and I want to read through the numbers right now. Right now, we're at uh, looks like 20 basis points on uh, two's 10s, really, uh, really narrow. Uh, and all five basis points on the day, I think we were down as low as about 18 bips uh, on that spread. And by the way, that's a 20% move, right? Five basis points on 20 basis points. These are you know, these are very large moves as a percentage right now uh, of that spread. Yes. And what's also happening with that spread, too, is today we've seen another one of these unusual moves, unusual before this cycle, but not this cycle. And that is the two-year yield was up today and the five-year yield was, I mean, excuse me, the 10-year yield was down at one point about five basis points. They're moving in the opposite direction. Yeah. That doesn't happen that often to see those types of moves um, in, the, in that direction. What's going on? If you go and you look at uh, the Fed fund futures market or the euro dollar futures market, it's getting more aggressive. It has eight rate hikes priced in for this year. That means that one of them, at least one of them, has to be a 50 basis point hike. It's got 40% chance the Fed's going to hike 50 basis points in May. It's actually got a one third chance that both the May and the June meetings, those are the two next meetings. The Fed's going to hike 50 and 50. We had Jim Bullard come out today and say this. he would have been in favor of a 50 or 75 basis point hike to, uh, this week and would like to see the funds rate at 3% at the end of the week. Now, most people listening to this are going to scoff at this and go, no way, absolutely not. But the market's pricing is a lot closer to Jim Bullard than the crowd that's saying no way right now. And it's creeping in that direction. If the market is giving us a signal, that signal is the Fed is going to get really aggressive because and I've heard, you know, and I'm, I'm going to respond back to some Twitter comments I get. I think the Fed's going to become very slow. I think the Fed's going to move three or four times is what I hear all the time on Twitter. And I always ask, I always respond back with the same question. Why? Why do you think the Fed is raised rates and why do you think they're going to go slow? The reason they're raising rates is they want to get rid of inflation. Well, how does the Fed get rid of inflation? They make your life miserable. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to mince words here. They're going to slow the economy. Chairman Powell said on Wednesday it would be appropriate for financial conditions to tighten. That is code word for you need to lose money. And if the market wants to rally in the face of that, I think that green lights the Fed to go 50 every meeting. They're not going to say, well, we got an inflation problem, and now that the stock market's going up, I guess the problem is fixed. That's not the way they're going to look at it. They're going to look at it the opposite. we got to move harder is what we've got to do. And so I think people are having a hard time understanding that the Fed's priority now is inflation. It is getting inflation down. And that that is what is driving all of these ideas about eight rate hikes and Jim Bullard's comments. And your comments, I'm not you, Rash, but the comments I hear on Twitter, oh, but the Fed's going to go slow. The Fed can't do that. Yeah, I understand you don't want your portfolio to take that hit because of uh, the Fed tightening, inverting the curve and potentially risking a recession. 
But that is not their priority. Their priority is prices. And can they get inflation down even if we have a supply chain problem? Yeah, they can. They can kill demand. They could say, look, here's how we're going to fix the supply chain problem. You're not going to order stuff. And what do they have to do to get you to not order stuff? And that's where I think we have to be very careful when it comes to understanding where the Fed's going. Their priorities shifted for the first time in 40 years, and still people have a hard time understanding that. Yeah, St. Louis Fed uh, President James Bullard, the sole dissent on the FOMC, uh, wanted 50 bips. By the way, I'm looking at uh, every nerd's favorite function on a Bloomberg terminal right now, WERP, uh, the world interest rate projection. Uh, and it looks like right now the implied rate delta for the 5-4 um, meeting, that's the May meeting, uh, is uh, plus uh, 0 0.367, meaning uh, halfway between uh, one and two hikes based on the, the aggregate data. Yeah, that would work out to around 44% chance of a 50 basis point hike and 56% yeah. chance of a 25 basis point hike. So we're right on the cusp between 25 and 50. And I might add, when it comes to the Fed, we had another speaker today, uh, Chris Waller, who's a Fed governor. Now, before he became a Fed governor, Chris Waller was the, the, the director of research at the St. Louis Fed under Jim Bullard. And Chris Waller Basically, if I was to summarize his speech, I agree with Jim, is what he basically said. If you want to go 50 or 75, he'll raise his hand and say yes, too. There's two, there's two, right? There's at least two right there. Esther George of the Kansas City Fed would probably line up uh, that way as well, too. Michelle Bowman, another Fed governor, if you asked her, should we move 50, would probably say yes as well, too. So this is why the idea that the Fed might start increasing the rate hikes not decreasing them is not so far out of the realm. There's a number of Fed governors and Fed presidents that have hinted that that's kind of the direction they would like to go anyway. Yeah, well, the phrase I agree with, Jim, always very easy to say, especially on this show. Uh, high cut percentage, <laughs> by the way, for a 5-4 meeting, 147, uh, which means precisely what you just said. Let me ask you this, talking about this regime shift over at the Federal Reserve. I know we don't usually go this deep into Fed policy here, but I think, obviously, this week it's an important topic to talk about. Uh, Danny Blanchflower up at uh, Dartmouth uh, College, some remarks out uh, that have gotten some publicity, talking about, effectively, uh, the inability of the Fed to continue anywhere near uh, seven hikes uh, for this uh, for this hiking cycle, because uh, in Professor Dan Blanchflower's view, uh, there's going to be simply too much pain uh, in the U.S. labor market. We should say uh, Danny Blanchflower is, of course, a labor economist. This is his area of specialization. But that's his belief that we're just not going to be able to get there because of the risk of impairment of the labor market once the Fed starts hiking in earnest. You know, he's right uh, in one respect. The yield curve, as we said, is 20 basis points. When the Fed hiked rates on Wednesday, that was the narrowest the yield curve had ever been when the Fed started raising rates. This, The yield curve a year ago was 170 basis points, and it's gone down to 20, basically in the wake of the first rate hike. The terminal rate, this is one of this is where does the market think the funds rate's going to end? It's still around two to two and a half percent. It's not at four or five or some big number. And some people interpret that as meaning we'll see the Fed will slow down on its rate hikes. Or maybe if you take what uh, Danny Blanchflower's comments were, it won't take much to break this economy. It might only take, you know, so the, those 
that say to me, oh, I don't think the Fed will never move eight, eight times. You might be right because they'll move three times and three times will cause a recession yeah. and break things and then they'll stop. So your, your reward for being right that they don't move eight times is we break something. Uh, but it's, so you've either got eight rate hikes or you break something as where I think the Fed is going to go. But if the argument that he's trying to make is the Fed, therefore, cannot raise rates anymore because they might break something, so they won't. I'll come back to what I've said on these daily briefings now for months. The motivation here is political. The 40 percent of the public that rents and has less than $1,000 of savings is getting shellacked because of yeah. this high inflation, and they need prices down. And they're taking it out in the, on the politicians in political polls, which is what the Fed hears. And if the Fed does not react fast enough to inflation, we already had Chuck Schumer again point hint at, and the president at the State of the Union, price controls. If prices of things like big beef, you know, hamburgers or, or gallon of gasoline or shipping rates don't come down, there have been dropping strong hints that they'll just slap on old old style 70s type of price controls on this stuff uh, as well, too. So I'm of the opinion the Fed knows this and is saying to them, wait, don't you go with the you know, don't go back to 1972. Let me, Jay Powell handle this. Let me raise rates and raise rates and raise rates to deal with this inflation problem. Don't you don't you try and do uh, price controls again because they never work. They just create shortages and make things worse. Yeah, I was just going to say, we know how well price controls worked uh, the first time around. Hey, Jim, we got lots of questions flowing in fast and thick. I want to hit some of these uh, because we've got okay. some really good ones here today. Uh, this one comes to us from Double C from the Real Vision uh, site. And the question is, uh, Jim, can you explain the bullish thesis for equities in 2022 in light of tighter conditions and economic slowdowns? And also, uh, and he teased this one up for you, what do the blue eyes on your Twitter avatar mean, Jim? Okay. So the second one first, that means I'm a fan of Ethereum and I'm a fan of the crypto space. Laser eyes is uh, what people say that they are a fan of the, of, um, uh, of crypto. Red laser eyes means you, you like uh, Bitcoin if you, want to, if you want to get that specific. I mean, remember, this is, as we said a minute ago, this is from the, the crowd that gives presentations in their pajamas. So uh, it's a completely different world as well, too. The bull case for 2022 I think it really comes down to two big story, big ideas. Idea number one is inflation really, truly is transitory, that it is going to peak. Yeah, you're going to see a monstrous March number because of the big rally in gasoline prices through the month of March. But then after, soon thereafter, you're going to see inflation peak. You're going to see the supply chain rectify itself. You're going to see a resolution of the war. And let me define a resolution of the war here, that sanctions can start coming off, the flow of grains, the flow of oil can from Russia, and maybe even the Ukraine can restart. You get that, that's the bull case, because it takes the heat off of inflation. If that happens, maybe the Fed then doesn't need to be as aggressive uh, as well, too. And then the markets can think about a world of better earnings and more people feeling confident about the state of the world. Now, I don't subscribe to that theory, but I would say that is the bull case. Inflation peaks and it comes down and 
whatever you want to define as a resolution to the war, let's define it as the flow of goods, the flow of energy and grains and raw materials out of Russia and the Ukraine. There's a there's a moment out there soon that it can restart as yeah. opposed to just being stuck in all of these sanctions that we are right now. Jim, we're running out of time, but I want to hit two questions real quick. This one comes to us from FR from the Real Vision website. Doesn't the rally give the Fed more room to act even more aggressively against inflation? Yeah, absolutely, it does. Because the, if the Fed's idea is, uh, let, me, the, let me remind people one thing to answer this question. In the developed world, we have the U.S. with the highest inflation rate. The U.S. at 7.9 is the highest in the developed world. Yeah, um, that's rare. Usually Fair the U.S. Energy. is somewhere in the middle. It's never the lowest. It's never the highest. It's always in the middle. Today, it's the highest. Let me give you another stat that might play on that. The amount of fiscal and monetary stimulus we did during the pandemic was number one in the developed world. So we stimulated like no other developed country stimulated. And we have the highest inflation rate like no other developed country in the, in the world has. So if the Fed's goal is to slow demand, I need you wealthy people, and you defined as wealthy as you own stocks, I need you to buy a little bit less stuff. I need you to hit, think twice before you hit that buy it now button on Amazon. Um, yeah. What is it that I need to do? I need to slow down the rear valley in the stock market. I need to make the cost of money more expensive. And if the stock market wants to rally in the face of that, yeah, I'm going to double down on my rate hikes. I'm not going to back off on them. I think lots of middle class people are always surprised when they are considered wealthy by high ranking government officials. Well, that's like I said, I, I gave that definition. You know, if you own equities and if you own your home, congratulations, you're rich. Yeah. So congratulations to many of our viewers. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Listen, I wanted to end yeah. on this question uh, because Bonito is my hero for this metaphor. Jim, what are the odds that Jay Powell can channel his inner Kerry Strug and stick the landing with a broken ankle economy? Oh, um, the reason that Kerry Strug lives on in infamy is because that's not what usually happens. And I think that that's going to be the same thing right now. I understand that the market, part of the reason the market rallied is Jay Powell gave a bunch of happy talk on Wednesday that he could he could find the policy that will make growth happy and rein in inflation both at the same time. That's right. You're right. Stick the landing is what that is. Brought to you by the same guy who a year ago was insisting that inflation was transitory. How'd that one work out for him as well, too? So I think it's going to be hard. Look, the, is the Fed going to make a mistake the way I've defined, the way I describe it as, the policy mistake occurred last year. It's done. It already happened. And that was being too slow to recognize that we were something more than transitory inflation and waiting way too long to get started. All the Fed has now is trade-offs. They can yeah. pick one or the other. They can they could either try and design a policy to support growth 
or to design a policy that can help rein in inflation, they no longer have the option that they could design a policy to do both. And so, therefore, I don't think they could stick the landing, although I do think he'll break his leg in the process of trying it, and he still won't stick his and he still won't stick the landing. And again, when people scream and yell that they're making a policy mistake, that was last year. They should have started raising rates a year ago. They should have started QT a year ago when we were in the middle of a 29% rally and started it then. But now, you know, to scream that there's a policy mistake about to be made, it already has occurred. We're just living the consequence of it right now because all they've got are trade-offs. Jim, so well said, so well framed. That sounds like a promotional clip for Real Vision. That was perfect. Talking of clips, I really wanted to touch on this because it really hits on everything that we've been talking about here today. Uh, this is a conversation I did with Taka Kato. It's out today on the Real Vision Crypto tier. It's called, How Does Japan's Deflation Explain Crypto's Rise? Let's take a look at that. A lot of the problems that Japan faces, um, i.e. debt demographics and, you know, uh, are the two biggest ones really um, is something the world is going to face and Japan's at the, at the front end of that, that train, hopefully it's not a train wreck. Um, but, you know, at the same time, the, the reasons why things happen that don't happen. Um, I think if you look at Japan are a pretty good example, right? So the U S whole thing, and this is a big, obviously a big debate of rates going to go higher in the U S this has been a debate in Japan for the last 20 years, right? Too much debt, should lead to higher. Well, no, um, it doesn't, like I said, until this capital flight. But inflation changes that dynamic, right? Or And also trust in your currency. And this is something I, I looked into 20, 20 years ago to try to understand the future direction of Japan. Until you lose trust in the currency, there's no real capital flight. And that's the big biggest change in the world right now, is that people are finally... And it's not a good thing, but finally questioning the, the various fiat currency regimes. And obviously, that is something that's going to drive crypto adoption uh, in a way that was probably the world wasn't ready for uh, 10 years ago. Again, the timing of you know this the growth in the crypto market is doesn't surprise me as you know the, the trust in the fiat regime is is declining. Takakato tying this together, crypto and macro, uh, he points out about inflation that until you lose trust in the currency, there's no risk of capital flight. Uh, Jim, with that in mind, is there a risk to the dollar that you see right now? Now, the only risk I see is to my March Madness brackets after all the upsets yesterday right now getting blown apart. I don't think there's a risk to the dollar because of inflation. I would agree with him. I would agree 100% with him that it is really about trust and whether or not you trust the system and that will drive adoption. And to that end, in the West, Canadian truckers, you know, uh, central banks um, uh, freezing the assets of the Russian central bank, all of these things can give people pause about whether or not they could trust the system. Maybe you think the Canadian truckers were wrong. Maybe you think that those that donated to the Canadian truckers were wrong. They had their bank accounts frozen. And maybe you worry that someday you might have a view that is unapproved and they might come after you and want to ban your bank account. Yeah. That's the kind of trust or lack of trust or breakdown that could really drive crypto adoption through the roof. And I thought, you know, I've said this before, 
you know, what's happened in the last two months on that score and breaking down trust has been better than nothing but a Super Bowl full of uh, crypto ads, uh, you know, in terms of trying to get people to pay attention to it. And going all the way back to the beginning of this interview, uh, it was kind of one of the motivations that might have even put Vitalik on the cover of Time this week as well, too, is as we start looking at what's happening and why people are taking a different or maybe harder look at crypto in terms of an alternative in a world that maybe we should start worrying about trust. Jim, as always, a fantastic conversation. And as always, we have blown through 30 minutes uh, in the blink of an eye. We're running out of time here. Final thoughts, 30 seconds. I know we've covered a lot of ground. To sum up uh, your key takeaways, final points you'd like to leave our viewers with today. Yeah, so the two things I'll leave you with, first of all, is the stock market is rallying on hope. The rest of the markets are really still stuck in fear right now. We'll see how that one plays itself out. But historically, if the yield curve continues to invert, if commodity prices continue to rebound, and we didn't touch on this, but I'll say this real quick, there's some serious dysfunctionality in the commodity trading markets right now. The commodity traders are having a very difficult time. They actually asked for a government or a central bank bailout two days ago that it's gotten so bad there. If that continues, I think it could weigh on this hope that the stock market has. And the other final thought I would give you is Gonzaga. Take Gonzaga uh, for the uh, national championship. <laughs> Jim, as always, such a pleasure. Always enjoy these Friday conversations with you, man. Thank you. Thanks again for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Final announcement, the Crypto Gathering is back. It's our third annual Crypto Gathering, and it's happening next week from March 23rd to March 25th. It's unmissable. This is a crypto event you've got to check out. Uh, I'm going to announce uh, that Raul and I will kick things off on Wednesday. Uh, then over the next three days, a host of truly impressive speakers will take the virtual stage. If you'd like to join us, you can get your ticket for just $99. And that includes a six-month membership to Real Vision Essential. But if you're already a member, great news, your ticket is free. All the details are at realvision.com forward slash crypto gathering. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto gathering. The link is in the description below. We'll see you again on Monday. Have a good weekend, everybody. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.